Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me this week on Tia Time. We'll get to the show in just a moment. First, I wanted to say thank you to all of you who have posted a rating on Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast is an app that can be downloaded to your phone or computer. The algorithm it uses allows more artists and art enthusiasts like yourselves to hear about the show. So if you haven't posted a rating yet, do it now. Thank you. On with the show. Welcome to Tia Time with Artists, the weekly podcast where we discuss the methods, challenges, and real-life experiences of living our creative dreams. What kind of creative warrior are you? Musician? Filmmaker? Painter? Choreographer? Poet? Sculptor? Fashionista? Let's talk about it right now. I'm your host, Tia Imani Hanna. This week on Tia Time with Artists, I have distinguished guest, vocal legend and instructor of music and composer and pianist and if you play any other instruments i don't know we'll find out allison wedding <laughs> hi thank you, for coming to the show. thank you for having me <laughs> i'm so glad that you're here and i'm glad i was able to catch up with you because i know you're super busy these days you're all over the place you're on tiktok like crazy i see you all over the place <laughs> that is a new thing for me actually <laughs> that started about a month ago. Yeah. What what started the TikTok craze here? I had been on TikTok just watching things. I, I started in the pandemic, as so many people did. The whole, you're going to bed, there's a lockdown, you get on TikTok, suddenly, two hours later, you realize you've been stuck in the TikTok black hole. So I'd, I had watched a few for a while, and then I stopped, and then just seeing people's posts, students' posts and stuff. And then people were doing a lot of duets. And I thought, oh, that's fun. Because I hadn't really been, I became a little bit reclusive as far as performance during the pandemic. And John Mayer posted him playing Stop This Train. And I love that song. So I decided to do a little duet. And that just got me on the duet train. So that's where that started. And then suddenly I love dogs. So my feed is mostly babies, dogs, and music stuff. And now <laughs> okay. it's expanded, but I saw some dogs and there were some huskies like actually sounding like they were singing. So I thought, oh my gosh. And immediately I would hear so music behind it. I would go to the piano and play a tune behind them. And one of the, vi one of the videos went semi-viral for me, uh -huh. like sure. 20, 20 something thousand views. That's for me, that's a lot. That's huge. Considering I have like about 400 followers on TikTok. So that's been fun. And, and then the lip syncing thing is always fun. So. <laughs> I haven't seen the lip syncing thing. So you, oh, I, love you... To, I love to lip sync little kids. There's this English woman and her little kid. They do a lot of little things. So I like to, to lip sync both parts and just, it's fun. It's silly. Absolutely ridiculously silly, but it's just a distraction. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I wanted to know what artists have been doing the co during the COVID to keep themselves entertained. So that's definitely something to know about. I actually started writing children's music. I mm. realized that was a brand new thing. An old friend of mine, his name is Anthony Sattel, and I started writing this music. It started with a, there was a book called Hey Germ, Go Away, and we decided to write a little song that accompanied that little book, and then it just led to some other things. And 
we're actually in the process of doing, we got an, an illustrator and we're going to release one of the songs as like a little illustrated book for kids. That's oh. the plan. It's still, it's taking forever to get it done, but the, the illustrations are done. It's just about getting the lyrics on the page and then getting it up on Amazon. But that was something that I did that was totally brought on by the pandemic that I never thought I would do. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of fascinating. really because it's who would have thought that's wonderful (laughs) thanks yeah i like that one of the main themes about this podcast is we talk to artists about making art and just like no matter what's going on we're gonna make art anyway so make art you're making new art that comes out of the strangest places right so that is exciting to see a whole new book genre (laughs) came out of this that's wonderful so thank you for doing that Oh, no. I hope it I hope we can get it together and get it out there because I think the whole idea was to create music for children that if their parents hear it they would like it as well that they wouldn't want to jump off the balcony when they hear it. No offense to Baby Shark, but come on. Baby yeah. Shark do do. Everyone knows it though and it's very catchy. It's very fun, but so our music is a little more complex than that, but still simple enough to where it's catchy and people, little kids can sing along, but it's mm-hmm. also might not drive the parents quite as crazy as some of the other stuff. Maybe, or maybe it will. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I remember it's probably 29 years ago. Cause I think the kid is now almost 30. And at the time, my girlfriend at the time had a new nephew. Uh-huh. And when he got to the point where he was standing up, I wrote a little ditty. And it was like a baby shark type of thing. And he loved it. And it was like, dude, I'm standing. Dude, hey. It's the same thing as baby shark. But he loved it. And I was like, oh, it's like, what am I going to do with that? But look what happened. (laughs) Years later, baby shark comes out. And it's like a mega hit. So I was like, I should have written that down. (laughs) It's such a good reminder that simplicity can be just as powerful as complexity. And you think about the most well-known jingles on ads. I can't think of them right now because my brain is drawing a blank, but there well, are so like, many of oh, them. Uh, remember Plot Plot Fizz Fizz, Oh, Where the Leaf exact, It Is? Exactly. <laughs> or 1877 Cars for Kids or whatever. Those kind of things. 800 588 Something like that, yeah. You know what I'm saying. It's like they, they just stick in your brain. And so that's very effective. Oscar Mayer. Yep. If you're old enough to remember, I'd like to buy the world a Coke. Uh, I'd like to buy. Yeah. Da, da, yeah. Da. Or uh, give me a break. Give me a yes. break. Break. <laughs> hold the pickles. Hold the lettuce. Special. Actually, that's not a really simple. No. Melody. That's, that's of... a Luther Vandross song. He wrote what? that. Are you yeah. serious? I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, he made his his money in in advertising for a long time. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't know that. That's yeah. good to know. Thank you for educating me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, who knew, right? It's just one of those little things. But those are awesome. I remember Bobby McFerrin did. I think it was Bobby McFerrin. He did a blue jeans ad or commercial at one point. Oh, okay, and I think, but maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. But there was a song and it stuck. I remember when it came out and it stuck in my head and it was a Levi's song. I'm wearing my Levi's. 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 Ha ha. And it was like this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. 
They, it sticks. So hopefully our music will, I think some of our music will stick in the brain. <laughs> I, I have no idea because the stuff I write is, hasn't even been published yet. <laughs> A lot of the stuff that I've written, it's going to happen at some point. Some of the tunes that I've written and they've been ex- maybe performed once at a concert years and years ago, but it keeps happening. Keep writing stuff. And eventually if we're lucky, it'll hit the world and maybe Something one of them will it. stick. Exactly. Yeah. I hear you on that. Yeah. And it, it, it goes out to the world. You never know. Cause sometimes people tell me, Oh yeah. Like I did an EP back in 2001. It was like my first recording session that I did. And people are like, I still listen to that all the time. Wow. I only sold what? maybe a hundred of them right. or something. Cause it was like, you had them in your backpack. I was walking around New York and I had them. <laughs> <laughs> so didn't have that many. Somebody says, yeah, I listen to that all the time. I wish there was more. I was like, there is, oh. it's another CD. <laughs> and there's more coming still. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, it's amazing where different sparks take us. You just never know where it's going to lead you to. It's true. So, and yours led you all over. You've been in what? Australia for a while you were in oh my gosh I parts of the country yes okay so here's my you want to hear my journey I do I start well I was born in Ohio but I only lived there till I was five so although I do have many relatives uh, extended relatives there I don't really consider that my home I consider Dallas a little bit more my home because that's where I grew up went to North Texas then I actually spent one did one year at Western Michigan University, and then I finished at North Texas. Moved to LA, so lived in LA for about four years. Then I went to Australia, lived in Melbourne. That was where I released my first album, and that was amazing. And I look back on that, and I can't believe how unbelievably blessed I was. That whole situation and the way it happened, I can't, you, you just couldn't replicate it. And I just, not that I took it for granted, but I was naive. And now I look back on that, and I was like, wow that just all happened so beautifully. The universe just laid that out for me. So I spent about six and a half years in Melbourne and then I moved to New York and I lived in New York in the New York area, either Brooklyn. I started off in Astoria, Brooklyn. I spent one year in New Jersey, then back to Brooklyn uh, for about eight years. And then I moved to Chicago for two years. And then I moved back to Texas and moved in with my folks because my dad was had cancer and I helped take care of him until he passed away. And then Miami where I am now. And then I'm off somewhere else soon. Not sure exactly where, but I, yeah, so I've been all over the place. I'm sure you've met different people all over the place, different musicians you've gotten a chance to work with different sounds that you may not have ever considered putting together before. Cause every little, area has its own thing. Cause I can, I know in like DC, there's something called go-go. I had never heard of go-go before. And it, oh. it's a black community thing. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's nationally go was uh, doing the butt back in the eighties. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. But that was that style, that beat and everything that's called go-go. Oh, and I had okay. never heard of that before. And I was like, Oh, Okay. <laughs> So there's all these little regional things. If you're in these places that you can hear of that you wouldn't necessarily hear of anywhere else. And I'm sure Dallas has its own thing too. So, and it probably has a style and a a set list of people who play it. And, you know, 
that was one of the great things about Melbourne that really, my, my whole thing shifted when I moved to Australia. I was so inspired. There's so much great music happening there. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking more and more that with the internet, more we get to hear more things happening around the world now, obviously. It's just there. But I really just felt ignited when I lived there creatively and was able to also, when I performed, I was able to really allow myself to go in different directions. And I was accepted for that. I would do a lot of original material. I would do obviously jazz standards because jazz is my background. And then I do some not jazz covers. So I, I wasn't pigeonheld in one. I was considered a jazz artist, but I didn't feel pigeonheld in one, one thing. I feel like I could go on stage and like, I, I remember after I had worked with Rhiannon in Hawaii, for one of her, one of the initial workshops that I did with her was a long time ago at this point, but coming back and just feeling so inspired improvisationally. And I remember I did a Hawaiian chant, my, one of my gigs, it was just felt super empowering. And I was like, I'm going to do this. And people seemed like they accepted that in between like two jazz standards. I'm like, eh, oh my, all this stuff. And it was really cool. So I <laughs> loved that. And I miss Melbourne very much. And yeah, I, I, people ask me, where's been your favorite place that you've lived? And Melbourne is definitely the, hmm. the place. Would you ever consider going back there? Oh, the way my life goes, I am would absolutely be open to anything. Really? I love it. looks like but it's a blur to me I guess that's the price we pay as time drags on and I try to recall the way your mouth would move when you used to talk the way you'd whisper my
My mom, I think about my mom and she's in Texas and my brother has two little kids and I don't want to miss that. Mm -hmm. And not that I would totally miss it, but flying from Australia to the States is not just a hop, skip and a jump away. It takes a good solid day. And I remember when living over there, my mom had some heart issues at one point and coming back and forth was not easy and it's pricey. And, but as far as how much I loved it and what's going on there. And I loved my, I taught a lot there. I taught at three different university level places and I loved it. So yeah, we'll see. I'm just riding the wave and seeing where it takes me at this point. Yeah, it's amazing. The I have a friend that she teaches in Quito in Ecuador. And she's from New York and she's from DC area, but then she lived in New York for a really long time. But then she ended up in Ecuador. So mm-hmm. it's like, ha, huh. and te- I think she teaches at four or five different universities there. Wow. And she's been there for 10, 12 years now. So it's really, you just don't know where you're going to end up. That's true. Yeah. And she's a vocal person and a writer or a composer. So it's, wow. <laughs> and then yeah. I look at uh, all these different areas that people have opened up to, like you said, like with Rhiannon doing some of the Hawaiian stuff and because she lives there now and mm-hmm. the people who have opened up to her and shared that culture with her. And then, mm-hmm. so she's perpetuating that outwards so that people who d- have no attachment to that are finally saying, oh, listen to this. I didn't know about that. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful thing to see. So you never know. Somebody's probably got a path for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. My mom used to always quote that poem, and I'm probably going to get it wrong, but I'm a part of all that I have met. Is it Tennyson? I can't remember. I feel really silly quoting that poem and not knowing. But I do believe that's true. And I, when you look back 
and you see all of the things and some of them weren't so pleasant in the moment, but where you're led and who you've met, it's such a rich tapestry and it's really a cool thing to reflect and know that every day presents a new possibility. You never know who you're going to meet in line at the store or on a plane and, and where that could lead you. Do, do you have any stories like that where you met somebody just, oh, by the way, I've, <clears throat> I'm the director of or the, the musician that plays with or, or I'm that musician that you've always known, but you never met? You know, I ran into one story comes to mind. I was on a plane once and Chris Potter Okay. The saxophone player was on the plane and I don't, he probably, if he heard this, he probably wouldn't even remember this, but I freaked him out a little bit because I was like, you're Chris Potter. And he was like, how do you know? <laughs> I was like, I'm not a stalker. I promise. And then I ended up showing up at a, like a gig that he was playing at. And then I, I lived in New York and whatever, but that kind of was an interesting thing where the world is really small. And now, yeah, and then he ended up playing on my third album, but things like that where you're like, oh, and then I wouldn't say we're best friends, but he's a friend of mine. Right. I, and things like that. I've met some really cool non-musicians just when I taught at Berkeley for 11 years and I never lived in Boston. I commuted mm-hmm. that whole entire time from the, you know, I started off in New York. I was doing the, either the Chinatown bus. Whoa. I got a lot of stories there. <laughs> yeah, I remember or, that. <laughs> or, the, or the Amtrak train, which yet more stories. Mm-hmm. So I would either do that. And then I lived in Chicago and I flew every week to Boston. And then for those two years, I was helping with my dad. I was flying from Texas to oh, Boston wow. every week, but I would meet, I met a lot of people on planes and, and some of them, there are a couple of people that I still keep in touch with uh, a couple of women. Like I, I keep in contact on Facebook and things that really cool people and They've supported me in my career, and I love that. That's just, I'm always open to, it's just a really great thing when you're open to it, mm-hmm. meeting those people. I don't know. I might be forgetting something. I don't know if anything's led to any major, like, music breakthroughs yet that I can think of, but I'll, I'll keep that in my brain and see if anything see if pops up. <laughs> yeah. Well, now you were working with, weren't you working with a snarky puppy? label for a minute or something like that? Yeah. How did Mm -hmm. that come about? Wow. Okay. Do you remember the IAJE? Yes, I do. Before (laughs) Jen existed, the the Jen conference existed. I think it was the very last IAJE conference was in Toronto, I think. And I was watching one of my friends, Hildegan Yedrum, who is a beautiful singer from Norway. Absolutely stunning. She was doing a gig there and Michael League was playing bass for her. Wow. I did not know. I did not know who Michael League was at the time, mm-hmm. but I just knew they were all North Texas people. And I obviously was the North Texas person quite a bit older. And I saw him playing and I was like, whoa, he's really great. And then I met him and he was super cool. And he was talking. I think he was there with a lot of the snarky puppy guys. And that's how I got introduced to them. Okay. And then... I was living in New York, was working. The initial band that I was working with was so amazing. I had Tim LaFave on bass, mm-hmm. Tony Mason on drums, Pete McCann on guitar. That was my main group. And 
Tim was getting a lot of work and traveling a lot. And so I needed a new bass player that was in town more. And Michael had just moved to New York. So he started playing bass for me. And then like slowly the snarky guys moved, you know, to Brooklyn. Sure. And then one day Mike was like, we're, we're starting a label. Would you like to release an album on the label? So Michael was my producer for that album. That album's called This Dance. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, I did a Kickstarter for that. That was a big project. And that was the one where Chris Potter was on it. I had Leonel Oweke on it. Oh. Blackman sang wow. a tune with me on it. Corey Henry plays some organ on it. And there's some amazing, uh, it was just a great experience. And so what I loved that Michael and Snarky were doing was they would take label mates on the road with them and we would be their opening act. Mm-hmm. So I did quite a bit of touring with them over a three or four year period, just as their opener. But instead of me taking my band, I would play with them for my nice. So it was, it started off like with a lot of the band. And then we, toward the end, it was just basically either me and Michael and one of the guitar players, like Mark Lettieri or, and it was just so much fun. And this was all happening before they won their first Grammy. So okay. it's probably that's, this, the last time I toured with them was probably about, I guess, I'm, oh God, I don't know, time just, I don't know what's up with time. Probably like, six years, six years ago. Sure. And I got to go, the cool thing was I introduced them to Michael Tortoni in Melbourne, who was running the International Jazz Festival in Melbourne. Mm. And I got them connected and now they, they became, they've become big everywhere. But that was a cool thing. So I got to go on tour with them in Australia. Nice. And do that festival with them, which was just awesome. So that's a long story, but that's how, you know, so my first album was with that label and I loved working with them and I, I have so much respect for Michael and all those guys. They're a great group of guys, some of the hardest working people on the planet. And it is such a beautiful thing to see that rewarded when they win awards like that and have the following that they have. It's been a beautiful thing to watch.
got the chance to see them right before the Grammys too. It was here in in Lansing of all places. The, mm. the Michigan uh, State University students had invited them way before that happened and they it was like the last thing they did before they like really took off. And we're watching them like oh these guys are really great. I never heard of them before and they were playing. That was really something to be able to see them and then the very like next week because it was in winter so it was like the grammys were like in february this was oh, like the yeah. end of january or something like that and then that, right. I was like, what you know <laughs> I, I just saw them down the block you know yeah. so it was pretty amazing how they have worked all of that into this mega thing mm-hmm. and just to have that many people want to work together mm-hmm. 
in and of itself is inspirational because getting a lot of musicians together is like herding cats. So I'm so impressed with their skill in in that. Yeah, they really changed some things. Like I, I love the way their live albums, the way they would record them with kind of the audience with headphones around. Mm -hmm. That just was such a great idea because I don't know how you feel, but for me, like when I'm recording in the studio, it's very hard to feel that live energy Mm -hmm. and you can really feel that sometimes and hear it in a recording. And that really, I think, amped up their recordings that got them the success that they have now that whole concept of having that audience there and of interacting interspersed with all of them. Uh, it was really great. It is. It is really fun to watch all those videos too and to hear it together. Oh, that's really cool. So yeah, yeah, th- that was pretty inspiring to see. And I was like, okay, it gave me hope for large ensembles. First of all, for live music, first of all, and yeah. not all synthesized. So, because right. that sound is completely different, I like that. So that was a that was a journey in and of itself. You got a lot going through that. That's fabulous. Yeah, um, I I was with them on tour when we would be sleeping on people's floors, and wow, you know, the van would break down, and <laughs> it was awesome. I wouldn't trade it for anything, though. It was such a great experience. Hmm. You taught at Berkeley for a long time. Then you moved to Miami. You were teaching at the University of Miami for a, yes. a, a time. I did a couple of years there teaching in the jazz department. Okay. I was a I was a lecturer, so I was teaching jazz voice, jazz piano. I did a, I did one year of jazz piano, freshman sophomore jazz piano, and then a lot of jazzier training, freshman and sophomore year training. And I led a couple of different ensembles. I did one ensemble was called woven that was really uh, fun and then i did a i did the spontaneous composition ensemble that i was teaching at berkeley i introduced mm-hmm. that last semester and that was very rewarding and that was the ensemble that ran and had started at berkeley before she left and then she passed it on to me okay and i taught that for about 9 years at berkeley and yeah so I'm in between teaching gigs at the moment, and we'll Mm -hmm. see where that leads me. If you were queen of the world, what would you be looking for? In regards to a job or anything? It could be layers of things. So a job is one thing, or what do you want to see happen in the next segment of your life? Oh, okay. I've been teaching for 27 years. And I love it more than I ever have. And I think part of that comes with the experience of doing it and just being comfortable. We all have those imposter days, right? Where we're like, what am I doing? I'm a fraud. Why am I teaching this person? They're better. They're better vocalists than I am. You know what I mean? You have those minute little, I know that's normal, but I know what I have to offer. And I feel like one of my main gifts is to be able to meet someone where they're at and be able to lift them to the next level. I feel like I can do that with anyone. And part of that's because I'm empathic. Um, And my intuition helps me to do that. And I just love, I'm a problem solver. I love to, I'd love to get in there and figure out what's causing, what's holding this person back and how can I help them 
liberate from that. So teaching, I think, is always going to be a part of me. And it's so funny because when I started like my whole music career, I always thought I'd be the performer first and the teacher way later in life. And I'm sorry if you hear the breathing. That's my little dog sleeping next to me. <laughs> I can hear him in my headphones. Some people are going to be like, what is that sound? He's just breathing. I'm sure. Yeah. So teaching will always be a part of that because I just love it. And I'm so rewarded when I hear from a a former student or I see what they're doing now. And it's not that I take credit for it, but I know that I was a little part in their path toward that. Mm -hmm. And it's just super inspiring. And they inspire me. I, and the more I go along my teaching route, I understand how much they teach me as well. And it's just the best feeling to know that you have touched someone in that way. So I'd love to find a a new home where I can plant my feet and teach, but also continue writing, doing the children's music, but also my own stuff. My next project, I think, is going to be a solo piano voice project. I started it a little bit, but I want to find the right studio to do that mm-hmm. and the right engineer. I would love to do it myself, but I just don't have a grand piano in my my apartment. My mom has a beautiful grand piano. I maybe I don't know, maybe I could figure out, but she lives right in the path of Field Airport. No. So <laughs> I was just visiting her and doing trying to do some of these TikToks and every couple minutes, you know, they come right overhead. So Recording there, I think, would be really difficult. Yes, but so that's that would be one thing, and just also just improvising. I you know, doing this spontaneous composition stuff and circle singing, and taking that and doing that with a bunch of different people all over the world. I've just seen in my own experience, I've been able to take that to a group of people that don't know each other and it be a very uniting thing. When you get people improvising and singing together, no matter if, even if they speak the same language from all different backgrounds, all different ages, when they can create something sonically like that together, that spur of the moment and authentically birthed in that moment, it can be uniting and just makes you feel like a family. One of the things I love is when I start a a semester with a class and they might know each other, obviously if they're like frost is a small school. So all of the students in my class knew each other, mm-hmm. but the transformation of that class in, in one session from when we started till the end, you can, it's palpable yes, because it's all of a sudden with that group improvisation thing, all of a sudden you have to trust the people around you and you have to allow them in and to trust you. And it just, it shifts the dynamics of how people get along. So I guess I have this kind of grand vision of doing this on a grander scale or with other people. Like I worked with a beautiful singer and vocal teacher named Davin Youngs in Chicago when I lived there. He's a great singer, teacher, improviser. And he had just done the Omega Institute with Bobby McFerrin and met Rhiannon. So when I moved there and he found out that I had worked so much with Rhiannon, he was like, oh my gosh, you want to do 
some of this together. So we started doing monthly gatherings with local singers. And then we started doing circle singing with some financial companies as uh, team building experiences. Mm -hmm. And we did the Coca-Cola summit one time. That was amazing. And to see all these people, they walk in like with their suits on and they're super uptight. And then at the end of it, they're walking around, running around, high five and looking like little kids. That's what we, that was our whole goal. And that's what we did. And all of a sudden there's like literally more united. Mm -hmm. So that kind of idea is in my heart too. I love feeling that. I Mm -hmm. love feeling that so much. I'm really taking a long time answering your question. It's fine. (laughs) That's yeah. That I think is what I'm seeing. Also a side note I really love playing Texas Hold'em poker. <laughs> if I weren't a musician and if I had the money, I would probably invest in a, a like a serious coach and work on my game even more. But I do love playing poker. I, I find that really fascinating. That has nothing to do with music, but I wonder if I could ever make it have anything to do with music. But I do enjoy playing that game. That is like a sideline. It could be another point of entry for income since you really adore it. But yeah, it's a little risky, but so is music. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. What's the difference? (laughs) So you work on it, you practice, you get better at it, you go do it. So it's all all good. (laughs) Oh, that's fabulous. I like that. She was a singer. (laughs) She was a composer. I don't know what happened. And now I'll... She just plays poker all the time. (laughs) (laughs) No, that'll never happen. But I do enjoy it. I do enjoy it. It's a nice, something that's a little separate. It's nice to have something that's not always music, Mm -hmm. but the music's there, always in the background and in my heart. Yeah, I, I always wish I did have something else other than music because no matter what I do, it always ends up turning into music somehow. Whatever I look at will somehow be enmeshed right. with music so it's oh okay it's music again but well, the funny thing is i do end up singing at the poker table and that always <laughs> ends up opening conversation about music because i can't help it i do it it's so annoying i'm sure to some people it's oh she's singing <laughs> i miss her singing all the time yeah yeah it's one of those things that i have been told that even when i yawn it's musical <laughs> It's kind of like all of a sudden it'll it'll hit three or four four pitches, and I don't realize it. It just does that because somebody pointed it out one time. I said, "Oh, excuse me," because I was yawning, and they were like, "Wow, that was even on pitch." (laughs) (laughs) You know, people talk in their sleep. I've sung in my sleep. It's just wow, that's awesome. (laughs) It's just so funny. And I just go, should, wish I had- do you re- do you record yourself? They have these apps now that will catch you when you do that stuff. No, you can set it. I I would normally do it, but I sleep with a white noise machine, so that would probably be, it would record the whole night. But they yeah. they do have these things that like it's like activated when you make noise. You might yeah you might create some amazing song in your sleep and then. <laughs> it becomes I, a, a symphony. It's like, well, I love it when it doesn't happen very often because. It only happens when I can let myself sleep till I get up as opposed mm-hmm. to sleeping till I have to get up. And then almost always I have a dream where I'm laughing 
and I wake up laughing. I've done that too. <laughs> you know what else I do that's really weird? And I hope this doesn't creep anybody out, but I'm sure it's because of all the improvisation stuff. And mm-hmm. But I'll wake up speaking in other languages. Now, I don't think they're real languages, mm-hmm. but I wake up and I feel like I have a lot of stuff I have to say. And it's just not in English. It's like in this gibberish. But I ha- I've had ex-boyfriends say, oh, that, that sounded like some sort of Asian language. And I'm like, really? And then, oh, you did it again. It sounded kind of German. Like, what? <laughs> so it just, it's like various things. I'm sure it's because of the improv, but it's very interesting to <laughs> be like, it's like, I blizzard, it just goes on and on for a good 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I wonder if my neighbors ever hear it. I mean, because I think my wall meets there. I don't think, I don't think I end up yelling it so much, but it's definitely, it happens a lot. Funny. I have these lofty dreams too. Like I want to learn other instruments. Mm -hmm. And I, it's, they say that when you're a child, it's so much easier to learn those kind of things, but like cello, I, I would love to play the cello. I have this idea that I would be really good at it for some reason, which I, it's so ridiculous because I know how difficult it would be. Mm-hmm. But I think I would love to play it. But then again, how do you get a cello that's not thousands of dollars? I'll right? tell you what, I just bought one for my girlfriend for her um, birthday two years ago. You know where I got it? Where? Wish. <gasps> no way. Are yep. you kidding? And it's decent. I took it to the violin shop to set it up. They said it's decent. Because that it would was be like, great just to learn. Right? Three, 300 bucks, 400 bucks or something like that. What? Yeah. A cello. A cello. What? Got it from oh Wish. Oh my gosh. Okay. So there you go. All right. So this, maybe this is meant to happen because that's crazy. Yeah. But yet, like, I would love to play the cello. When I started lessons, my parents got me, I started voice lessons when I was seven and then I started piano and guitar and I was taking classical guitar mm-hmm. and I loved it. And I don't know, my dad used to say to me, oh, you didn't want to play it. I don't believe him. I think they made me choose. And I played piano, which I'm very grateful for that I played piano. Mm -hmm. Even though I consider myself a singer who plays piano, not a pianist who sings. But I so regret, that's one of my biggest regrets is not keeping up. I can't even imagine playing classical guitar your whole life and how that would have, oh my gosh. So why don't I do it again? It's the time thing, right? It's, oh, that would take so much effort. And it's, come on. Do yeah, it. Cello, yeah. cello, guitar, and of course, drums. I love, <laughs> I love rhythm. I love all things rhythm. But that multitasking, I, I, I see drummers play and sing. And I'm like, what in the yeah, world are you doing? I don't know how you do it. Because they're using both hands and your feet. Right. And you're singing. So... There's one thing you're singing and playing piano, and that's hard enough. Mm-hmm. Getting the left hand and the right hand, because I started on piano as well. I played for a really long time, and then when I went to college, there was really no piano to practice, so I just stayed with my violin. So I, then I started saying, "Okay, I'm gonna sing and play." So that's a whole other skill. So uh, okay, so I'm substituting my piano left hand with the singing and playing. But I worked at a music store for a while, and I picked up all these other instruments. I got a bass. I got a ukulele. I got a mandolin, because a mandolin is just the same as a violin, but you have to use a pick. I can't figure out the pick thing to save my life. I I got the fingering. 
but I can't right. figure out the pick because oh. I'm used to playing with a bow. So right. playing with a pick is like, how do I? Do? Right. <laughs> I can totally play the left hand just fine. Wow. I've got one of those things you blow through and play the keyboard. What are those things called? Get one of those. Um, Melodia? Yeah, Melodia. Or Melodica? Uh, something? I can't yeah. remember. I always forget what it's called, but because I used to hang out with some Brazilian people. So I, they play that all the time. And it's, it's a great thing to have. So I've got this menagerie of instruments that I can't really play. You never know. You just, when you have the time, maybe at some point I'll be able to sit down for six months and just learn six months worth of ukulele. Yeah, that's you what know? I should have done during the pandemic. But oh. It's, it's what works for you yeah. but at least now where you can get a cello i'm gonna go look on wish i'm gonna yeah. go check that out wow yeah. yeah and then is there anything else you want to do like bucket list as far as composition oh goodness i don't know why but when you said that herbie hancock came into my brain i would love to work with herbie hancock mm-hmm. i met him years ago through Leonel Oweke, and he is such an amazing human being and obviously amazing musician. And he was very supportive of my music. He bought a few of my albums. And I remember one of the highlights of my life was sitting backstage with Herbie and him telling me the tracks on this album of mine that he loved. And I was just like, this is surreal to me that you were saying this. And he was like laughing about one of the funny tunes. And I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. And I lost touch with him over the last few years, but I would love to collaborate with Herbie Hancock mm-hmm. and be that writing or singing, just singing and playing or both. That would be truly special. Yeah, collaborating with some, I guess that's everybody's bucket list, right? You want to write with people that you love. Peter Gabriel. Come yeah. on. Yeah, no kidding. Bring it on. Yes. Bring it on. I want yes. to work with Peter Gabriel so badly. I'd love to work with James Taylor. Um, there are other artists too, but that kind of thing. I, I, I really do love also the hybrid of styles and being able to work with various styles of people. So that would be bucket list thing. I think for sure. It still could happen. And that is true. I believe that to be true. And like we were, we said at the beginning of this, it's just, you never know what's around the corner and, and that's pretty exciting mm-hmm. stuff. It is very exciting stuff.
year now that it came out, which is crazy. Again, I, I talk about time because my grandmother used to tell me, and I actually wrote a song about this, but she used to say to me, really live because as you get older, time passes faster and faster. That's probably why I like that song, Stop This Train by John Mayer, because it's all that same concept. But it really is so true how time flies and you blink an eye and then a year and a half has gone by. But that album, I actually recorded it a few years, a couple of years before I released it. And it was an experiment because the album before it was the one I did on the Snarky Puppy label. And that was very big and very produced. I had strings. I had all kinds of percussion. I had all these guests, lots of background vocals, thick stuff of me just. And so I decided that I wanted to do a very bare stripped down duo recording with an awesome guitar player named Matt Gold, who's based in Chicago. And it was all my original music and I wanted to do it really raw Mm -hmm. in the moment and not spend a ton of money and see what I could get out of that and see if people would respond to it because everything that was coming out was so produced. And I do not mean that I don't love that, but I wanted to get back to the basics because I like hearing, I love hearing unplugged performances of things, even big songs that people have big elaborate things when they go and they perform live on a show or whatever. And it's just them and a guitar. Mm -hmm. There's just something so intimate and powerful about that. So that was that project. It's called on the brink. I love it. I, of course I listened to it and there weren't a lot of fix ups or anything. So it's raw. There's some things I'm like, Oh, I could have done that better or whatever. But I guess you hear that in everything. I'm very critical of myself to be able to put it out there and just let it go and be like, yep, that's a snapshot of that moment. No problem. But I'm proud of that album. I, a lot of odd meter tunes I wrote that Mm -hmm. weren't even intentionally that way, but like I, I had at least two songs in five on that album. I think a couple of them in seven on the brink is actually a song about politics. And that happened right after the 2016. I wrote that right after the 2016 election, Yeah, which is should tell you something an angry one, but I like the song. It was just a big kind of a departure melodically and harmonically for me from anything else I'd done. And working with Matt, he really came up with some beautiful stuff on that. And so we basically recorded that album in somebody's house. They have they had a studio set up. It was in their house. We were in the same room. We did the basic recording, and then we did uh, Matt overdubbed some like a couple of guitar things and some percussion. But other than that, it was just in the moment, and it was uh, really fun. My biggest regret with that is I decided to just drop it one day. I didn't tell anybody. <laughs> and one day I was like, surprise, but I didn't do any kind of publicizing other than Instagram and Facebook. I didn't have a, a publicist. And I regret that now because I think you really need that to get it out there. Mm-hmm. At least get people, get on some people's playlists and then, and whatnot. So that album did not get as much exposure as the one I did before, but I'm happy with it. I think it, it's a cool little project. Very cool. Very cool. So when you're 
contemplating recordings like you've done the over the largely produced albums you've done the unplugged kind of album is there anything else you want to do as far as that goes i want to work with a producer who's really into i would love to work with a producer who hears something completely different than my my what i envision for my song does that make sense or like electronically Mm-hmm. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, I would love to do that. I think of uh, a dear friend of mine who is an incredible singer, songwriter, improviser, all of it. She's a genius. Her name is Gian Slater. She's based in Melbourne. Okay. She has done some a really cool album that just came out called, oh my gosh, I can't think of, let me just think, look at the name of it so I don't mess it up. But she has done some more electronic kind of thing now and it's just it's called gray is ground and it just came out like a month ago and it's really hip electronic stuff so that would be that's always been a dream i used to love like portis head and that kind of stuff to go in that direction and i'm not really based in that stuff I, i know i can experiment with it and wherever i end up next if i ever end up in an actual house where i can have a soundproof room I think that would be cool to experiment with that kind of thing or work with an artist like Imogen Heap, something Mm. like that. Mm -hmm. Thank you so very much, you know, for coming on the show and and sharing your experiences and your view of the world, because we all need to hear it. I need to hear it. And I'm, I watch your career and it's like, we don't get in touch very often, but we've been through some stuff together and through living through New York is something in and of itself. (laughs) so So, thank you so much Allison thank you for having me oh this is so fun thank you for joining us this week on Tia Time with Artist make sure to visit our website tiavisland.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes and never miss an episode please leave us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts we really appreciate your comments and we'll mind them to bring you more amazing episodes. I would like to thank this inaugural season sponsors, the folks at Jazz Lines of Bend, Michigan, or JAM. Michigan Art Share, a program of Michigan State University Extension, is a partner in supporting the Tia Time podcast and Sham Bones Music. Without their support, this podcast would not be possible. Thank you so much. If you would also like to contribute to the show, you can find us on Patreon.com. If you want to continue the conversation about topics discussed in the show or start new ones with like-minded people, Join us at the Tia Time Lounge on Facebook. Thank you for listening. See you next week at Tia Time. Thank you for joining us this week on Tia Time with Artist. Make sure to visit our website at tiaviolin.com where you can subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. Please leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts to expand the reach of the show. We really appreciate that help. And we'd also like to say thank you so very much to our sponsors, Michigan ArtShare, a program of Michigan State University Extension, and Cold Plunge Records. And also all of our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you. We'll see you next week at Tea Time.